Well, today we're landing this plane on this four-week series we've been doing on sex. And for some, like my middle school daughter, Reese, this day couldn't come fast enough for you. Uh, For those of you who are this your first time with us, basically over the last four weeks we've been talking about something we can all agree on, which is that there's nothing like sex. And we know that there's nothing like sex because it's the one you know, way that new people are created, which means there's nothing like it. But furthermore, there's nothing like sex because we know nothing feels better, looks better, you know, it's more exciting, adventurous, and intriguing than sex is. But the main reason that there's nothing like sex is because nothing impacts us like sex. We discovered sex is not just a pastime like many people treat it. It's, it's actually a pathway. It's a pathway to our soul, and it impacts our souls both positively and negatively like nothing else can and nothing else does. And why is that the case? Well, because Creator God created sex, and He created it that way. We've seen God saying, basically, there, there's nothing like sex because I created it, and I created it to be wonderful and powerful and awesome, and I want you to enjoy it, and I want you to let this fire burn hot within my created intent for it. But I also want you to keep it there, because if you take this fire outside of my created intent for it, it will become a forest fire of destruction in you, which leads to a couple of what I believe to be truths that God has communicated through the writers of Scripture that we discovered over the last few weeks. First is, according to the writers of Scripture and according to Jesus, God created marriage to be between one man and one woman, and God's created intent for sex is to be within the context of marriage. And then secondly, we discovered, according to the writers of Scripture and according to Jesus, that sex, that sexual immorality is any act of sex outside God's created design for marriage. Any act of sex before, outside of, in addition to, after the marriage of one man and one woman. According to the writers of scripture, sexual immorality is a sin, but it's a sin in a category all its own. We've discovered that sexual immorality is like no other sin, not because it's worse than any other sin. It's not. Sin is sin. Sexual immorality is like no other sin, not because God hates it more, not because God will judge you more harshly, not because God won't forgive you. Sexual immorality is like no other sin because it negatively impacts our souls, who we are at the deepest level imaginable like no other sin. There's no category of sin like sexual sin because it hurts you and me like no other sin can and no other sin does. That's why the writers of Scripture say flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. Now, for those of you who would say I'm not a follower of Christ, you're like, I don't even know that I believe anything written in the Bible is, is, is true. Really, there's no motivation for you to flee from sexual immorality except for one thing. The only motivation for you is that if you do, it is going to save you from a lot of pain and a lot of hardship and a lot of regret. But that's really your only motivation. But for those of us who would say we're followers of Christ, for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of our sins and lead of our life, God says to us, flee Run. Get as far away as possible from sexual immorality. Flee from it, not because I'm against sex. I'm not against sex. God would say, I'm for it. I'm for you. I created sex for you. Flee from it because I love you. Flee from it because it's destructive to your soul in a way that no other sin is. And if you happen to fall into it, I want you, as we talked about last week, repent. If you happen to fall into sexual immorality, I want you to turn back toward following Jesus. Now, for everyone who's put their faith in Jesus, we've got to know, Jesus has extended a specific two-word invitation to us. And that specific two-word invitation to us is, follow me. 
follow me. Another way to say it is allow me to lead you. Follow me as the leader of your life, as your Lord. See, Jesus didn't merely invite us to believe something. He never invited us just to believe something. When we reduce faith in Jesus to that, all it leads to is dead religion. Faith in Jesus without actively following Jesus, it's counterfeit faith. It's not real faith, and it's worthless faith. Jesus' invitation to those of us who say that we're followers of Christ, who say, Jesus, I've asked you to be the forgiver of my sins because I know I need saved. Jesus, I've asked you to be my Lord, the leader of my life. Jesus' invitation to us is follow me, follow me, follow me right here, right now, in every area of your life today. So a question you may have never thought of before is when it comes to our sexual behavior, what keeps you, what keeps us, from following Jesus? What keeps us from fleeing from sexual immorality and repenting from it if we fall into it? I mean, why are we so tempted to fall into the sin of sexual immorality knowing how much it hurts ourselves, knowing how much it hurts others, knowing how much it hurts our relationship with our Heavenly Father? And I think there's lots of answers to that, but on the most basic level, I think you can summarize the answer to this question under two headings. And the two headings are self-preservation and self-gratification. Self-preservation, you've got to know, is always fueled by fear. Fear of hurt, fear of harm, fear of isolation, fear of losing our security, that opportunity, fear of losing them, fear of uncertainty, fear fear of an identity crisis, fear of what if. So there's self-preservation and then there's self-gratification. Self-gratification is always fueled by desire. Desire to feel good, desire for love or relief or escape, desire for pleasure, desire for self-worth, desire to be noticed, desires to have our appetites, you know, fulfilled. We don't flee from sexual immorality. We're tempted to fall into sexual immorality. We're we're, we're prone to keep sinning sexually when we try to self-gratify or self-preserve. And what you've got to know is we can't follow self-gratification or self-preservation and follow Jesus at the same time. We can't follow self-gratification and self-preservation and follow Jesus at the same time. These two things, self-gratification and self-preservation, you've got to know, they're poor leaders. They're poor leaders. Follow them and you will be led into sexual immorality, and they will leave you there to suffer the consequences. And I'm not telling you something that many of us don't already know. Some of us have the memories to prove it, the scars to prove it, the wounds to prove it. These two, self-gratification and self-preservation, all they do is they just lead us in circles. Follow their lead, and you'll end up on an endless rat race just searching for more and more and more, and they'll never have enough, and your appetites will never be fulfilled. And when you feed them, they'll grow and round and round. Round and round and round we go. Following these two leads us, leads us into uh, sexual immorality, which means self-gratification and self-preservation lead us to self-destruction. Follow them, and in the end, you'll find nothing but hurt and destruction and lifelessness and despair and hopelessness. Probably not immediately, but eventually. So Jesus says to those of us who have put our faith in him, follow me, follow me, follow me, right here, right now, in every area of your life, but especially with your sexual behavior. Once again, not because sexual immorality is worse than any other sin, but because it hurts us in a way that no other sin does. 
following Jesus, it really comes down to one thing. This one thing, this one thing enables us to flee from sexual immorality. This one thing is the fuel to repent when we fall into sexual immorality. This one thing protects us from following self-preservation and self-gratification. This one thing is not discipline, though it requires discipline. It's not self-control, though it requires self-control. It's not obedience, though it requires obedience. It's not even conviction, even though it requires conviction. This one thing is surrender. Following Jesus comes down to surrendering to his ways, his truths, his promises, his principles, his will, ultimately to his authority as our Lord, as the leader of our lives. What, the, the posture of what surrendering looks like, I can only really think of one thing, and that one thing is open hands. This truly is the posture of surrender. It's saying, I surrender me to you, to your authority. I surrender my will to yours. Whatever you want, wherever you are leading, I will follow. Before you even ask, my answer is yes. I'm saying no to me, no to self-preservation, no to self-gratification. I'm saying yes to you. I will follow you no matter what and leave the consequences to you because I trust you as the leader of my life. The closest thing I can really relate to following Jesus to, as funny as it sounds, is repelling. You know, we had a, actually a few people in here yesterday do some repelling at YFC's Over the, over the Edge fundraiser. And you got to do, who did repelling yesterday? It was a good time, wasn't it? Now, repelling's crazy because here's, here's the weird thing about repelling. You don't repel by believing that the rope can hold you. Anyone can believe that the rope can hold them and not repel. You repel by surrendering to the rope, 100%. It's the weirdest thing. It's it's the most unnatural, most hard thing because when you basically to repel, you're going off the back of this mountain. What you've got to do is you've basically got to open your hands and say, I surrender to this rope. I trust this rope. And you've got to go backwards trusting that that rope is going to hold you. It's the most unnatural thing. But essentially you're putting your life in the rope's hand saying, I'm surrendering to this rope's authority on some level. I, when I was doing student ministry, I used to uh, take students repelling every single year, and it was interesting. The ones who uh, successfully made it down and had a great time and, and enjoyed the fullness of repelling were the ones who were surrendered to the rope, who just leaned all the way back and stayed leaned all the way back all the way to the bottom. The ones who busted their face against the side of the mountains were the one who all of a sudden wanted to take over and tried to cling to the rock again. Because as soon as you're not leaning back and as soon as you're not trusting that rope, you will slip and your face will hit the mountain and you will bust your face if you ever go repelling. Just want to let you know. Following Jesus kind of looks the same way. It gets down to one thing. Jesus, I surrender all of me to you. I surrender all of my will, my ways, my desires, my wants, my actions. I surrender all of my heart, my soul, my mind, my body, my behavior to you and to your authority. After we put our faith in Jesus, after we ask Jesus to be the forgiver of our sin and leader of our life, sexual immorality is a surrender issue. 
Choosing to follow Jesus in this area of your life or not, it's not a salvation issue. Talked about that earlier in this series. No act of sexual sin keeps us out of a relationship with Jesus or takes us out of a saving relationship with Jesus. Every person, regardless of their past, regardless of their current behavior or beliefs, is saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus alone. Nothing more, nothing less. After we put our faith in Jesus, like any, any other area of our lives, our sexual behavior, it's a surrender issue. So my question for every person who's a follower of Christ in here is, have you surrendered this area of your life to Jesus? Are you leaning back or are you clinging to the rock, trying to do it yourself? Have you surrendered this area of your life to Jesus? If not, are you willing to? Your answer to that question determines if you're following Jesus or not, if he's the leader of your life or not. And as people who proclaim to be followers of Christ, our choice to surrender to him, especially in this area, impacts everything. I'm going to look at two very short verses today. These two verses are found in Romans 12. And for those of you who don't know, the New Testament book of Romans is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church or the community of Christ followers who were living in first century Rome. And in, in these two short verses, Paul gives practical insight to what surrender is, how to surrender, and why to surrender. And here's what Paul says, starting in verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, which by the way means you've missed a lot. I mean, if you were to start walking on a conversation and someone goes, therefore, you'd be like, catch me up. Like, what did I miss? Well, this is in the middle of the letter, and basically everything before this in the first 11 chapters, Paul's been explaining God's grace and God's mercy through Jesus to sinful humanity. And so he's basically saying, hey, therefore, since you were once separated from holy creator God because of your violation of sin against him, therefore, since you were, since you were dead in your sin, therefore, since God sent his son Jesus to redeem and restore you to himself, therefore, since Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins and rose to offer you eternal life, therefore, since you have been forgiven and saved from your sins and reconciled to God in this life and the next through your faith in Jesus by asking Jesus to be the forgiver of your sin and leader of your life, Therefore, since you are now free from the penalty and free from the power of sin and you are alive in Christ, therefore, since you now have a relationship with your Father through Jesus, therefore, since you are now a child of God and you can never be separated from the love of God, therefore, since all of that is true, it's what he's been explaining in the first 11 chapters, I urge you, brothers and sisters... It's like he's grabbing them and grabbing us by the collar and saying, come on, come on, come on. I urge you, I implore with you, I appeal to you as people who have put their faith in Jesus, as children of God, as my brothers and sisters in Christ, in view of God's wrath. Nope. In view of God's shame. Nope. In view of God's judgment. Nope. In view of God's guilt. Uh-uh. In view of of God's mercy. Last week we discovered something else that Paul wrote earlier in Romans. That God's kindness is intended to lead to repentance. Paul's reminding us because of God's kindness, because of God's grace, because of God's mercy displayed through Jesus for you, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now, when we read this, nothing graphic comes to our mind, but something very graphic came to their mind. 
I mean, these followers of Christ living in Rome, they were surrounded by Roman pagan religions, pagan religions and by Jews. And the one thing that pagan religions and, Jewish, and the Jewish religion had in common in the first century is that they were very bloody religions because they sacrificed a lot of animals on altars. Pagan religions sacrificed animals to sacrifice to the gods. The Jews sacrificed animals to God for the atonement of their sins. And as followers of Christ in the first century, in the, in first century Rome, a lot of imagery came to their mind when Paul uses the, wor- the word sacrifice because they saw animal sacrifices on altars every single day. As a matter of fact, some of them used to sacrifice to pagan gods before they put their faith in Jesus. Other of them were Jews who used to sacrifice animals on the altar to God before they put their faith in Jesus. But the moment they put their faith in Christ, everything changed because they knew what Jesus said on the cross. They knew Jesus said, it is finished. As followers of Christ, we don't make animal sacrifices for the atonement or for the forgiveness of our sins because Jesus was the final sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice that atoned for all sins, past, present, and future. So when they saw the word sacrificed, sacrifice, they're confused. They're thinking, you want me to climb on the altar like an animal and like kill myself? Like, what, Paul, what are you talking about? Paul's going, yeah, kind of, symbolically. But I don't want you to physically die. Instead, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And bodies was Paul's short way of saying, all of yourself. Paul's saying, symbolically climb on the altar and surrender all of yourself. Your will, your ways, your desires, your wants, your actions, all of your heart, soul, mind, behavior. Every area of your life to God. Well, Paul. We want to follow Jesus, but surrendering all of ourselves? Like, Paul, that seems a little irrational. Paul, seems that that seems a little illogical. And Paul knew they were probably thinking that. And Paul knew you would probably think that, which is why he said what he does next. This is your true and proper worship. The two English words, true and proper, they're great interpretations of the original Greek, but they're not, they're great interpretations, but they're not actual translations. The, the, the Greek phrase that's interpreted true and proper is loikos. And, and this is the word where we, this is, this is where we get the, our English word logic. So basically what Paul is saying is, in view of God's mercy, God's grace, God's love, God's salvation for you, surrendering all of yourself, your wants, your desire, your will, your behavior to God, it's the most logical thing you can do. In view of God's mercy, the most rational thing you can do is to surrender to him. In, the view, of, in view of God's love and grace for you, surrendering yourself to him is how you truly worship him. It's how you honor him. It is how you glorify him. When it comes to sexual immorality, surrendering is saying no, no, no to me. No, no, no to following self-gratification and self-preservation. And saying yes, yes, yes to following Jesus by honoring God with my body. Surrendering our bodies to Jesus, it isn't irrational. Since we know that Jesus is for us and he proved that by dying on the cross for our sins, refusing to surrender our bodies to Jesus, that's what seems irrational. 
Since we know that Jesus is the only one who can give, as he described, life to the full in this life and the next, and he proved that by rising from the grave, refusing to honor God with our bodies, that's what seems irrational. That's what seems illogical. Paul goes on. Do not conform. It's referring to the present and the future. Basically, I mean, do not be conformed any longer. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. The patterns of this world, the, they are the desires, the wants, the values, the culture, the behaviors, the world we live in constantly pushes us or, or points us toward. They're the, they're the way things are naturally done in the world in which we live. They're, they're the way that everybody thinks, the way that everybody lives, or the way that everybody prioritize, prioritizes. When it comes to sex, we know this, we talked about this. The pattern of this world is to treat sex like it's just simple. Like it's just surface. Like it's no big deal because it's just physical. Man, as long as you're in love, as long as no one gets hurt, no one gets pregnant, no one gets an STD, as long as everyone consents, have a great time. You shouldn't suppress what, what feels so good. You shouldn't how you, you suppress how you feel, what you want, your natural appetites. Do what makes you happy. Do what feels right to you. Paul's saying, as a follower of Christ, don't conform to those patterns. Don't be pointed and pushed toward following self-gratification and self-preservation. Your, father wants, your heavenly Father wants something so much more for you than that. So don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. But, which means instead, be transformed. Did you know that God's goal is to transform you into something new? As, far as, a, as a follower of Christ, did you know that God's goal is to transform you into something new? His goal is to transform you into who he, not the world, not you, to who he says you are. His goal is to transform your identity to be grounded and founded in him alone and nothing else. His goal is to transform you into everything that he created you to be. And you're like, well, Paul, how does that transformation happen? And Paul says, by the renewing of your mind. We're transformed by renewing our minds with the truths, the promises, and the will of God. Because when our minds are renewed, we want to follow Jesus. And as we say all the time, transformation happens by following Jesus one next step at a time. When we renew our minds to see sex as God sees it, we're much more inclined to surrender this area of our lives to Jesus. But when our minds are not being renewed, we resist God in this area of our life. We create our own truths. We follow something other than Jesus, the patterns of this world. We surrender to self-gratification and self-glorification. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind is why I always are encouraging us all the time to be exposed to practical biblical teaching. So I'm constantly saying be committed every Sunday to be here, to tune in or to be in this room, to be exposed to practical biblical teaching. So I'm always encouraging middle school students to be in, in, at Rooted and high school students to be at Youth United. 
to be exposed to God's truth, to practical biblical teaching. Furthermore, it's wise. I'm always encouraging everyone to be part of a smaller group of people who are helping us walk toward Jesus. Uh, uh, for adults, uh, college students and adults, we call those T-Life groups, middle school students, rooted groups, high school stu- students, youth united groups, to where we can just wrestle with God's truth together. And when we begin following the patterns of this world, we have people who can pick us up, people who can spur us on toward Jesus. It's why I'm constantly encouraging you to read the Bible on your own. God has revealed so much of his truth through the writers of Scripture. And one of the ways that our minds are renewed is by being exposed to his word. Being exposed to the truth that he's already communicated to us. We spend so much of our time having our minds renewed by the patterns of this world. And the only way we're going to be transformed is to have our minds renewed by God's truth. When we renew our minds with the truth and the promises and the will of God, we're much more inclined to follow Jesus in this and in every area of our life. And here's the beauty and here's the payoff of engaging in in that process. Then, which basically means as a result, you will be able to test, which means to critically examine, to discern what God's will is. Paul's saying as you engage in the process of surrendering yourself and renewing your mind, you will then be able to know and discern and experience what God's will for you is. And check this out. His good, good for you, good for your mind, your body, your soul, good for the present and your future, good for your relationships with others, good for your relationship with your heavenly father, good pleasing, which means satisfying and fulfilling for us, and perfect will. And whether we know it or not, that's ultimately what we're all searching for. And that's what your heavenly father wants for you. Because he loves you. So let's read it one more time all together since I kind of picked it all apart. Here it is. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When it comes to our sexual behavior, choosing to follow Jesus or not comes down to one thing. And that one thing is this. That one thing is surrender. Following Jesus in this area of our lives is saying, I surrender me to you, to your authority as Lord. I surrender my will to yours. I'm saying no to me, no to the patterns of this world, no to following self-gratification and self-preservation, and yes, yes, yes to following you by honoring God with my body. I will follow you in this area of my life because I trust you as the leader of my life. Once again, sexual morality, it's a surrender issue. Not surrendering to Jesus in this area of our life, it doesn't impact our salvation. But it does impact our transformation. 
the act of sexual immorality negatively impacts us being transformed into everything God's created us to be because of what this unique sin does to our souls. And it doesn't matter what the sexual sin is. Sexual immorality is sexual immorality. No act of sexual immorality is worse than any others, even though some people try to categorize them, try to justify some, try to dismiss some, or look down on some as worse than others. Every act of sexual immorality impacts our soul's ability to experience God and Him transforming us into everything He's created us to be. And that's why Jesus says, follow me, follow me, follow me, surrender to me, surrender to me, surrender to me. When we do, we are able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, His pleasing, and His perfect will. Which means when we do this, our trust in Him, our our trust in His truths, our trust in His perfect will, those things grow. Surrendering may feel like a sacrifice, but this sacrifice, at least according to Paul, is worth whatever it may cost us today. For those of you who aren't, would say, I'm not a follower of Christ, you've never put your faith in Jesus. Jesus is inviting you to follow him, but not by surrendering this area of your life to him first. Let me say that again. Jesus is inviting you to follow him, but not by surrendering this area of your life to him first. He's inviting you to follow him by surrendering yourself to him today. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save those who were lost. Those who have a separated relationship, a broken relationship with Holy Creator God because of their violation of sin against him. And that's you and you and you and you and you and me and every single person. Jesus came on a mission to restore our broken, redeem our broken relationship with our Heavenly Father. To forgive us of our sins, to offer us eternal life and to transform us into everything he's created us to be. That's what Jesus died on the cross for. That's what Jesus rose from the grave to prove that, he can only, that only he can do. And surrendering yourself to Jesus is proclaiming, I need a Savior. And Jesus, I believe that you are that Savior because of your death and your resurrection. So today, I surrender to you by asking you to be the forgiver of my sin and the leader of, our, of my life. And when we, when we put our faith in Christ, we are forgiven. We are forgiven for our sin. We're reunited with God in this life and the next. We're given eternal eternal life, and God's spirit comes and takes residence in us and begins transforming us into everything that he created us to be. And if you've never done that, you've never put your faith in Jesus, you never surrendered yourself to him, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that today. There's absolutely no pressure. But if you just feel there's something in you saying, yes, there's something in you saying, I feel like I need to take that step today. Take it. For those who would say you are followers of Christ, You've put your faith in Jesus. You've accepted Jesus' sacrifice for you. You knew what he had to do to die for you. You've accepted his forgiveness. You've, you've accepted his salvation. You have eternal life that only he could give. Jesus is inviting us to follow him by surrendering this area of our life to him today. So let me ask you again. As a follower of Christ... Have you surrendered this area of your life to Jesus? If not, are you willing to? For those of you who say you're followers of Christ, but you're, you're, you aren't willing to surrender 
This is an area of your life that's keeping you from following Jesus. Which means it's an area of your life that's preventing you from being transformed into everything God's created you to be and experiencing God's presence in your life. And is that really what you want for yourself? I mean, when you went and put your faith in Jesus, you go, you know what I'm going for? I'm going for experiencing at least amount of God as possible. None of us. And that's not what your heavenly father wants for you. He's inviting you. Jesus is inviting you to surrender to him today. And he's doing it for one reason. He's doing it because he loves you. And he knows what's better for us than we know for ourselves. I know there's many of us who are willing to surrender, but we're not sure how that practically looks And as we go through life. Like, how does it practically look when I start dating or when I get engaged or when those feelings arise within me or my hormones are flaring or he asks me to move in with him or with my same-sex attraction in my marriage with that girl who keeps flirting with me at the office? Like, how does this look in every area of my life? And so what I want to do, I just want to give you one short prayer. One short prayer to know how to follow Jesus with your sexual behavior. And here's the short prayer. God, will this honor you? It's the most simple prayer ever. God, will this honor you? Before you engage in any sexual behavior in the future, before you get, walk into it, just stop. Just stop and pray. God, will this honor you? Or maybe you're already in it. God, is this honoring you? This prayer, here's what this prayer does. It will help you renew your mind with the truths and the will of God. And if you pray this, he's going to answer. He's going to answer real quick. That's the easy part. The next part is the hard part. But the next part is the transforming part. And here's the next part. Ready? God, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but today I surrender me to you. I don't know if I'll be able to do this again tomorrow or not, but today I'm saying no, no, no to me and yes, yes, yes to you. I don't know how tomorrow looks, but today I trust and I follow you as the leader of my life. And you know what happens through that surrender today? What happens is transformation. Because once again, transformation happens when we follow Jesus one next step at a time. When we take a next step to surrender and follow Jesus today, he transforms us more into who he's created us to be so that we want to and we're able to follow him tomorrow. We looked at this passage in 1 Corinthians 6 a few times in the series, but I want to close by reading it one final time, and here it is. Do you not know? that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. For every person who's a follower of Christ, every person who says they put their faith in Jesus, for every person, for all of you who are followers of Christ who are teenagers, who are retirees, followers of Christ who are single, followers of Christ who are dating, Followers of Christ who are married, followers of Christ who are divorced, followers of Christ who have same-sex attraction, here's my question for you. 
Will you follow Jesus by honoring God with your body? Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about two years from now. Will you follow Jesus today? Will you honor God with your body today? If you do, you will begin to know and experience God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for you. But for that to happen, you probably need to answer this question as well. What do I need to surrender today? What do I need to surrender today? Justin and Jason are going to play a song as our closing prayer. I'm not going to pray. This is going to be our closing prayer. And the song, maybe you're familiar with it. It's one of my favorites. Very simple. The song is called I Surrender All. And as I sing the song, if you're a follower of Christ, I just encourage you to think and pray through these two questions. And if you feel that God has put something on your heart, prompting you of something, convicting you of something, I want to encourage you today during this time as your prayer during this song to surrender it. For those of you who have never put your faith in Jesus, if the sum of I was talking about all this and something stern say, that's the step to surrender myself to him today. I want to put my faith in him today. During this song, you can do that right where you are, sitting on your couch in this room. By just praying and telling Jesus, Jesus, today I'm asking you to be the forgiver of my sin and for you to be the leader of my life. Jesus, I surrender all. 
Would you sing that chorus with me? Alt, I surrender. I surrender. We surrendered. I surrender all to Thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior. So